Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Stuart Thornton. Stuart, we met, um, he was doing a bit of advice in a startup that we're involved with um, over in, it was in Thailand, actually, in an off-site. So, um, yeah, that was late last year, but I uh, really got to know Stuart, had a good conversation with him, learned a bit about his journey and his background. Uh, Stuart was a co-founder at Hua, which is... Um, a by now pay leader ecosystem that Asia's leading in that space. Uh, they exited in 2021 to shop back and had a good success from exiting the business. And that was only a three to four year journey, um, which is yeah quite a quick in and out sort of process, Stuart. And then um, seen as a tech advisor in the space and as a business tech advisory, um, helping out different startups in the space. And Stuart uh, probably hasn't taken much time off, has gone straight into Heroes, which is a new venture. And I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about today around, um, uh, fascinating around, it's, I think we're 3.0 sort of space, how um, fans may be able to sort of engage more with athletes and even benefit from um, how athletes go from maybe early stage right through to the, uh, the topper end of their career. Stuart. Thank you for joining us and welcome to Dev Ready Podcast. It's absolute pleasure. It's good to be here. Thank you very much yes. for the invite as well. <laughs> you won't no problem. Happy to see you again. Yes. <laughs> Slightly different uh, surroundings yes. than, uh, than Thailand. Correct. <laughs> yeah, a little bit cooler. <laughs> Maybe for us. I don't know about Stuart. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still quite warm here, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> so... Tell us a bit about your background. Obviously, you haven't been involved in your own business in the past. You've had a bit of an extensive corporate career. Tell us a bit about your background and what sort of led to jumping into something like a hauler to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, um, from the UK originally, you can you can probably tell that. Um, worked predominantly at the very beginning in in the telecom space, which was, I guess, sort of still you know technology. Um, at least it it was back then. Um, incredible experience, actually. Really, when telecoms was starting to, uh, you know, to grow and, and create value rather than just be, um, you know, the sort of pipes in the ground, so to speak. Especially at the onset of the internet boom at the end of the '90s, beginning of 2000, which is, yeah, really when I sort of started my career. Which, uh, you know, these sort of bright lights of technology and and all the you know, great things that were happening, you know, sort of certainly was attractive to you know, attractive to me. Um, and then just basically built a career, you know, in that um, industry, you know, working throughout Europe and um, and then was very fortunate to get the opportunity to travel to Australia. I, I had a, a rucksack on my back for a few months and um, that turned into uh, a permanent, you know, opportunity to to stay there, much to my sort of family's uh, uh, distaste, uh, being on the other sort of side of the world. But, you know, I've always had it that sort of... It is a bit of, far away, isn't it, from the UK? Exactly, yeah. definitely. I've, yeah. I've always had a bit of that adventurer, um, you know, some spirit perhaps, and that's, I think, what sort of took me down there um, and settled for a bit. And uh, that adventurer spirit then sort of kicked back in um, a few years later, which took me to sort of Singapore, mostly with work, you know, to do that. And um, again, in sort of telecom space, I was very fortunate to to um, have an opportunity to then move into uh, payments, which was sounded quite boring at the time, but all of a sudden it became fintech. And that was another sort of growth uh, you know, technology space, um, again, right at the sort of forefront of, of a lot of that, which was incredibly exciting. And um, and then, you know, my, as you sort of alluded to, my first step into into sort of startup world, and which was um, an incredible experience, which I'm sort of sure we can talk about. And I think it's, you know, to answer very, very briefly, you know, the question around what took me into there, I think it was, 
something that I always wanted to do. And it was really just trying to find the first scalable opportunity that perhaps was worth the sacrifice because it is a massive sacrifice to go to go do anything like that um and that that was where it, where it, it took me and of course you know the subject which you know you introduced at the beginning around what we were doing was sort of you know buy now pay later again it was another one of those big growth curve you know opportunities around um you know with companies perhaps you know like Klarna um in Europe and Afterpay sit down in Australia you know, really, you know, hitting the, the, you know, sort of some home runs and really creating significant outcomes for merchants and consumers alike. It was really looking at Asia and sort of seeing this amazing part of the world with so many people and so many social shifts and changes um, that really it, it was, this is a great, op you know, it was really the realization this is a great opportunity to go and take, uh, you know, take um, advantage of, really, and, and build something amazing. And that's really where it all sort of started. With saying that I was the, the first one that was worth taking the risk, I'm sure there was other ones that had come on, come to the forefront before that. What sort of was, like, your criteria to say, yep, yeah, okay, this is the one that I'm judging and it's going to be scalable? <laughs> that's a really good question. I have a, I have a folder on my computer with all these um, terrible ideas, or, or at least some, some of them were terrible, or at least ideas perhaps that other people had already... It taken advantage advantage of, and it was in a multitude of different areas. It really around, I think, sort of seeing a problem um, that could be solved, and 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 really that's the sort of the, the core of sales. It's the it's the cornerstone of, of startup. You have to go and have something that's worth solving, and and then the next step to that is is the problem big enough? You know, is it really a problem, or is it just a kind of a nice to have that you could feature-based perhaps a new solution or as opposed to actually building a business around it. Um, and then really the the next step around that was that how sizable could it get? You know, if you're really going to sacrifice something, you there's, there's ultimately something that you want to get some sort of return. And, you know, some of them were, I think, uh, this is quite sad to admit this, but, you know, it was like a an app for filling up petrol, for example, you know, finding the cheapest, best place. But in reality, how how much of a problem is it solving and how scalable is it that you could actually create that there are a couple of companies i think that have done that so there are yes there's a few apps in Oz, I believe, um, but how monetizable is it yeah. yes and it, and, and it was actually driven from a colleague that sort of i remember him saying you know oh, yeah look, no one's going to pay for petrol you know using an app or something like that and i it was that that sort of moment go hmm, well maybe they actually could do maybe there is something something there but i think the sort of final point really was how much do i know about the that space. How passionate am I about that? Um, that sort of the industry or the vertical that you'd be going into. And I think it's those three things that really determined, you know, really whether it was worth doing it. And of course, buy now, pay later. It was payments. I knew about payments. It was Asia. It was a huge market. Um, and you know, I think all of those sort of things really you know, led me to go and sort of kick that off and say, right, I could do this. Actually, it wasn't I could do this. It was actually culminated in a group of people doing it because I realized that I wasn't the one that could actually do it by myself. It was <laughs> a combination of a whole you know, group of amazing people to do that. Yeah, it's really a one person can, <laughs> one person can start it, but it takes a team. Exactly. <laughs> I think passion is important, right? So there's obviously going to be challenges along the journey, no matter what the opportunity is, looks like, feels like you need to be willing to sacrifice. And that's one of the key words that you said. Um, and have upside. I think 
a lot of people might jump into a startup and a business just because they want to go and work for themselves. I see this quite often. Um, but realistically, they're just um, looking at an opportunity to go out on their own and not really considering what the upside might look like, what the opportunity really is and how big it could be. Um, so I think it's a good takeaway for people to think about if they're going down this path. And I like the fact that you've got a folder of ideas <laughs> held off, really, um, because, yeah, I think Anthony's been one of those too. Plenty of ideas over there. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how many random calls you've got. I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, There's another hour and a half conversation. <laughs> but it, but it's those crazy conversations that actually sometimes leads to something. And, and, and I think, uh, again, it's sort of alluding to the team thing. You know, someone's got to have the idea and, and, uh, and then it actually takes a couple of people to thrash that out. Uh, and everybody's a bit different. You know, problems, you're problem solvers, problem creators, problem... I, I did, I, I, you know, um, what's the word? Sort of uh, people that create those ideas, you know. So I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, that's what makes it, you know, beautiful experience as well. From that team perspective, what was your steps? How did you go about getting the right people around you? Um, coming from realities and non-technical background, right? So kind of build it yourself, um, have the concept, probably that business acumen, more sales, BD driven. Definitely. Yeah, so understood the market, custom, maybe can easily have a conversation with a customer or potential customer. What would it look like to start establishing a team? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's you've hit the nail on the head, really. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, and, and if if there was more than me sitting here at the moment, there'd be a lot of laughs and giggles at the moment around the, 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 the ability that I have or lack of with technology itself. <laughs> so it was really important to go and you know, build, build that around. But, you know, it, my, my career has always been around you know, in sort of the commercial aspects. Um, and, but it was interesting, you know, when you sort of start to think strategically around what you're trying to achieve, you're, you're thinking about the problem and then you start to break it down into, okay, we need to go and do this, or we need to go and do that. And then you need to go, okay, I'm not good at this. This is not my forte by any stretch of the imagination. What's the kind of person that I need? And so the, you know, this is not necessarily a, um, a specific path, but it kind of unfolded in this way that you'd go, right, let me go and ask a few people. Do you know this? Do you know, do you know someone knows this? You know, what's the kind of person I need? And, and ultimately it, it was that sort of process that, um, started to create, you know, some value. And sometimes you, you find someone and. Um, you know, they're great for a sort of certain period of time and, and then actually someone else comes along and, and they're a, a good fit as well. And it really is around a realization that you need to have those best fit people at, at particular times on that sort of journey. And um, we were very fortunate. Again, it's the more, I mean, what, one of the things I like doing um, is very much around, you know, sort of the networking you share, the more you share, the more doors you open, the more conversations you have, the more people you're connected to. Uh, and then you start to connect through a mutual mission or vision, perhaps, of what you want to achieve. And, and all of a sudden, other doors open. And that's when I think you sometimes get the, well, hopefully get the right people to, you know, to come and join you on that journey. Because it's not necessarily, you know, there are a whole multitude of different elements that come into play when bringing people together. You know, it's not just, do you want to do a startup? It's, do you want to do this startup? And are you passionate about what we're trying to create? Do you, are you at a stage in your life where you have the capacity to do, you know, something like this, which is a massive determinant 
uh, who in actually sort of putting something like this together because not everybody's in that in that sort of space. Um, not just in terms of life, but life stage, but also do they have the right mindset around actually building? As you sort of alluded to earlier, some, a lot of people want to build their own business, for example. It's because it kind of sounds sexy. It, you know, I want to have my own, um, you know, control of my own destiny, But and which are all fantastic things, and I completely agree with those, but not everybody's actually the right fit for that. You know, there are some people that just think that it's good, but actually when push comes to shove, yeah, this is not really for them at all. It can get a little bit hard <laughs> in any business. It is. And I think, um, but I feel like some people give up a little bit too quickly too. Um, that's what I've noticed. Like some people that uh, have a concept and an interesting idea. And as soon as one, I'll, I'll, could, I won't name the name, but some really good concept, really good idea, um, really good people. And then one of the co-founders was probably in a position where that stage in life didn't work for them. And the other co-founder didn't do that work up front and that sort of threw them and then all of a sudden collapse stopped. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to know who you're getting into business with because, um, yeah, conceptually good concept. They got accepted into some really good accelerators, yeah. but it just sort of fell away as soon as that, yeah. sort of, that ping got pulled. It's yeah. interesting you say that we, we spent a bit of time at the beginning trying to make sure, I mean, this is a bit of the corporate experience coming into play as well, just trying to make sure that we were aligned in terms of what we wanted to achieve. Um, this is um, sort of methodology, I, I forget who wrote it now, but the five dysfunctions of a team. Um, and we use that as a as a sort of a methodology and a format to bring everybody together really in terms of what we wanted to achieve. It wasn't a sort of a perfect path in that, but at least it gave us, even sort of three or four or five years later, we were still referencing that session because we had a an understanding of each other of, you know, what was important to us and how we worked, uh, you know, in sort of building a team. Um, so that was, you know, quite a fortuitous, you know, outcome. One of the other things perhaps to sort of share as well is that, um, you know, this time around, like it sort of broadened the team a little bit in terms of the people involved, you know, within, um, again, driven by the sort of vision and mission, I think of what we want to achieve. But by virtue of that, you, you lessen the impact of people inevitably dropping out of the, of the process. And so you don't have that problem around where you've put too many eggs in one basket. You've always got like a, a, a plan B, so to speak. And I think that that's quite important too. Um, and that's a bit of a learning perhaps for this, this time. Going back to, um, Hula team, we've got some people around us. We have good vision, um, good, good insight into really early days rather than just, uh, getting some people that may want to be involved in something going a bit more strategic and thinking about that and going through, I think you mentioned that five dysfunctions of a team, putting some structure of thought behind who you bring on. I think it's quite important because, um, yeah, you can just suck anyone in at early days and they might be the completely wrong fit if it's not done in a, in a bit of a regimented manner. So really good insight there. When you went through the process, this, this was a team and then how did you go about from a, a business sales perspective, what did you do? Did you sell a product before you had it? Did you build something or was it really conceptual? What was your strategy there? God, I'd like to say that that was a structured approach, um, but uh, I'd be lying. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I mean, there was a structure to it. Like we, we had, uh, I remember the, one of the first things we did, we spent quite a long time because we, we were all in sort of, um, in a sort of somewhat game for employment, but it was really, um, 
putting a business plan together, I wouldn't, I mean, I certainly haven't done this the same time, like this, uh, the same way this time, but the, the business plan was like a 90 page document outlining everything that we wanted to do. And to be honest, it was crazy doing it, but it did actually help to consolidate the thinking around, you know, the sort of future direction and the path and the model and all the other bits and pieces. Um, and so actually, you know, that was probably the right start at that point, although we ended up, you know, sort of one of those classic, you know, sort of sits in the uh, bottom drawer in your desk kind of kind of thing, um, or at least the digital version of that. Um, but it, it did sort of consolidate the thoughts. And really from there, it was, okay, we now know, we now know what we think we need to build and what's the best path based on some of the deeper problems that we'd sort of learned. So for example, you know, data for consumers is, you know, almost completely missing across, across the Asia marketplace, you know, in, in comparison with Europe where you have, um, a lot more, uh, tangible data that you can easily access around, you know, sort of risk, for example, um, you know, in, in Australia, actually, it's a very sort of similar situation where it's very difficult to get access like to a sort of a credit bureau, for example, or there's no specific consumer data that you have access to. So trying to build a technology stack around that was going to be important. So that, there you start to sort of narrow down the kind of things that you ultimately need to try and get your head around. Um, and, and from there, it was really then, you know, putting together, uh, I guess, an MVP version of what we wanted. Um, so that was sort of more on the technology side. And then we also needed to then sort of prove, I guess, what we were going to build was going to be of interest to people. Um, and so we, we got our somewhat fortuitously our first merchant, you know, for example, that was willing to, uh, but they literally gave us the keys to their website. It was a, a small company, but by doing that, it gave us the ability to play, you know, with that. Um, and then ultimately sort of build the MPP, which we used, you know, some partners to, you know, to do that at the sort of early stage, um, which gave us sort of something that we could take to market, um, for an MVP launch. And, and that was really where it, we started to get some subtraction and with traction ultimately gave us the ability to go and talk to more merchants. The, the merchant engagement model was interesting in that you typically fell into three buckets and you see this all always. One, you've got the early adopters that go, yeah, absolutely. Uh, into that, you know, technology is the way forward. Let, let me let me join you uh, whenever you're ready. To the ones that would say, well, let me see what it's like first, you know, when you're live and then, you know, sort of then I'll come on board. And then you've got the three nap. No, it's, you know, way too early. Don't believe in it. Um, but ultimately, you know that that, or at least now, we know that that was always going to be the case. And as you start to build momentum, you get data points, proof points, te technically part of the sales engagement of, you know, the feature benefit proof, you then go back to those guys and they, they, they start sort of actually coming, you know, in line and, and, and joining the platform. Yeah. With a bit more data and backing, right? So correct. I love the fact that you got access to a website and actually yeah. built how did you manage that, Stu? Because that must have been a nice little conversation. Were you Fret, just Fret, really uh, early adopted, happy to give it a go? Was it a relationship? A mate of mine had a, yes. had a sort of tennis um, platform, uh, did sort of lessons and uh, um, tennis equipment. And uh, he, he was, it was a small sort of platform, but uh, he was just sort of super keen because he sort of saw the value of it. And he was a friend and... You know, I played a bit of tennis, which will probably lead us to the next, uh, yes, you know, the next conversation as well. And um, you know, that was where it sort of took us. And you know, he was he was very fortuitous to have him on board. Of course, we 
yeah, we helped him out a little bit on that front as well. And, uh, but it, it worked. That was the best thing we actually had. I remember, I remember sort of the, the first day that we launched the MVP, uh, there's a rather sort of amusing anecdotal story where you know, he called me up on a Sunday afternoon. I think we'd gone live on the Saturday and, uh, we were actually at uh, one of the, the guy's house, uh, doing some work in the afternoon. And, uh, he, the, the guy rang me up and said, oh, are you doing some testing? I said, well, I'm certainly not doing testing because I'm not allowed anywhere near it, but I uh, chatted, chat, right exactly, yeah, chatted to the other guys and they said, no, no, we're not doing any testing. And they went, oh, crikey, you know, we, we've actually got the transaction, our very first transaction. It actually did what it said. That's exactly what you wanted to hear. Which is what we wanted to hear. And, and that really helped us to sort of get on that journey to, uh, then sort of proving to investors that it was worthwhile. And, uh, of course you've got some good, uh, reference points and proof points around companies like Afterpay and, uh, and that was really the start of the journey. I guess a good learning for people to think about is who might they work with early days because generally it's our network, it's our people we're associated That's with. A, There's a trust factor there, right? So when you think about correct. it, it's much easier with the trust factor. That sort of, yes, I trust you, I've noticed correct. you before. I'm happy to give it a go. Correct. Yes, this makes some sense. Let's try it. So um, it can be a little bit harder to go outside the network. Correct. Well, the steps about just building some traction and some case studies as a how you yeah. started to venture outside the network. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, you, you um, I, I think in reality, the value proposition sold itself anyway. Um, and that was one of the reasons why we did it in the first place. Like the, you know, when I was working in the sort of payment space, you know, merchants would come along and go, listen, we need something to help us to increase conversion and sales. And this was a solution that ultimately did that. You know, so the, the the gap was probably more so just the proof points. And the more proof points we got, um, you know, obviously we used some of the success of the model to start with. And we, we were lucky because we had to have that at least outside of the Asia region. Um, but the more that we got our own then off the back of that from those early adopters, the, the more that we were able to actually sort of go outside of that network and, and sell it as a proper solution. And, um, and it, as I said, it, it somewhat sold itself. It was really coming down to the scale and size and that sort of trust, the trust element, you know, there was, some, and some other bigger companies, when you start getting into those, you know, the, the enterprise sale gets longer, harder, there's more people to engage, um, there's more trust to build, you know, when you're a tiny little startup, it's going to be very hard to do that. Um, but ultimately over time, we, we got those accounts on board and, uh, it was just a matter of time rather than. Uh, a matter of, uh, of if is those enterprise customers like that B2B cycle, is that something that users are sort of expecting to take that long? We've experienced part of it, but on the, like a lot of startups might not realize how long that cycle actually takes to complete. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I, I have an experience of, you know, small sales to massive global enterprise sales. So I have a good appreciation of um, of the different sales cycles and what it takes and, and how to go and do that. And I think that that was really helpful in understanding and structuring, um, the sort of sales strategy, the, the value proposition, the management of understanding when revenue would sort of hit, hit the, hit the business, you know, the, the criticality of having an, a, of a CRM, for example, and other sort of such systems to help you through that process. And that was one of the first things we actually invested in this. Um, you know, really, a really good CRM system that would help us to create the foundations in the future of managing the business, but also, um, of, you know, for data. So, um, 
you know, I think that that was something that we could, the experience brought to the table around that. So we knew that that was probably going to be the case as we went through. The irony is that what I think we probably realized, especially in the sort of retail space, which of course we were, we were operating in, the speed of which we were able to sign up some of the smaller, medium-sized companies was much quicker than I thought. Um, and that was really impressive. I mean, within the first, I think it was sort of 12, 18 months, we'd already done sort of a thousand merchants or something like that. And, you know, of course, and, considerable. Uh, it yes, was quite so significant. Had, had a number. I think, I think the quickest, and then this is really going back to the memories now, but the memory bank, but, um, I think the quickest sale was about 10 minutes. Um, we literally, we, we sold them, signed the contract, you know, on the phone and, uh, because uh, we'd automated as much as we could, you know, to do that. And it was a Shopify account. You press a button, it's live. You know, that was that was almost as quickly. That was probably the quickest one, I think, that we were able to achieve. Yeah, making that seamless integration. So having the Shopify plug in there, they can just get off the store Absolutely. and sign in. It makes it easy. Massive. First, the first, one of the first things we did again as well was getting that, realizing that sort of partner engagement, the integration partner engagement was absolutely critical for us to going and making this work so sh sh i remember having late night calls to canada to try and you know prove to us prove them that we were a really valuable potential partner for them uh, because all of it was done out of canada at the time it was pretty cool 10 minutes that's uh yeah some sort of record turn it on um, and off you go yeah um so in that business for three four years give or take um eventually exited was that the plan or did it sort of just happen that way yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I think it was the plan um, ultimately of what we wanted to achieve. Although you don't really ever, you don't ever really, I think, truly think around what the future is going to look like. It was so embedded in the um, in the today. You have a view of the future, but you never know what that outcome is going to to look like. I mean, it, there's there's a stereotypical startup journey you know for example that everybody reads about but you don't really know what that's going to look like you know are we going to be a massive you know global business and etc cetera, etc cetera, or are we going to get bored or are we, what are we going to do we you have ideas and thoughts but um it's never a sort of certain really till you get to that point um and so the the timing i think ironically was probably good for the business um for a couple of reasons uh one I think the market started to shift a little bit, um, at least the sentiment to the space. I still absolutely believe in it. I think the technology is great. Um, I think how it gets perceived is as a challenge around that, um, which there I is I also, now. There's a bit of a stigma in the buy now. A little bit, which I there which is. I understand. But unfortunately, it's probably you know there are players that perhaps have not played by the, the rules that have sort of taken us there. Um, and then you know, really, I think it was also. A realization that at this, because we've grown quickly to really continue that sort of growth path i think we realized that we needed a partner or partners to try and help us get there um, because we had a big jump that we needed to try and you know take and doing that by ourselves was going to take you know capital and and and, and some time especially when we started to see some other companies, you know, competition coming in, which is always a positive thing in my opinion, but with deeper pockets. And that was really, I think, where, uh, you know, where we sort of, where, where we, I think we had a thought that this is probably the, 
maybe this is sort of a consideration for us at, at this stage, especially if we wanted to continue to try and um, drive our margin contribution to the business as well, um, which was a, sort of a key consideration. It's always an interesting one at what when the right time is, but no one really knows. But um, I think, yeah, it seems like it worked out not too bad for you guys in terms of the exit 2021, give or take. Um, how many customers did you have at the time of exit? You were just using Google at that time. Oh, God, that's a good question. I think it was over three, 4,000, something like that in totality. Um, we were in Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, about to go live in Thailand. And uh, we had uh, a lot of the foundations in place for the Philippines, which... Uh, we never quite uh, delivered that, um, but um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty exciting journey on, on that sizable business. In terms of, um, I don't know if you can talk about that sort of transactions per month per annum. Well, how big was this business? I mean, I think that's probably uh, something we, we we still need to sort of you know keep out of the wraps. But it was that's fine. Yeah. It was it was a pretty significant sort of size, I think, at, at the time. Um, you know, when when you look at the the scale of obviously the merchants, the consumers, the um, the the number of markets we were in, we were growing easily thirty to forty percent month on month. So you can get oh, wow, well, you can get a rough rough, rough idea yeah. of what that was, yeah. what that might be. And mm-hmm. it brilliant. And to be involved in such a high scaling, growing startup, what did that feel like daily? Because <laughs> uh, stressful, many tiring, there, and yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for, was it just a, yeah. a race to keep keep up? Yeah. I, I think for, for me personally, I, I try and put this in the right words. I, I I've always had quite a good work ethic. Um, it, I'm 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 either on or off, you know, and and so yes. when, when that's the case, it's. I will I will go all out and I will work until I have nothing else to to do. That's never the case because you've always got something to do. But um, and so I think with that sort of environment, it was actually probably an environment I quite enjoyed because of that that speed and the and the work ethic almost drove me anyway. You know that I I'm the kind of person one that gets bored very quickly and two that if I'm not busy, I'm not productive, there's something wrong. You know, someone's not calling or emailing, it's because I'm not doing something. And so, you know, from my perspective, that was always a, you know, a big driver for me. But brilliant. Um, so that, so, so the whole experience was, was one of, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was incredibly stressful at times. It was hard work. It was tiring. It was, you know, there was a whole lot of negative aspects, but the, the the interesting thing I think when you do something like this is that especially if you're if you're a, a sort of a startup person you kind of put all of that in a little tiny little bucket and it hides at the back of your head and you forget it and uh, it's like a fish in a gold go, you know in a in a goldfish bowl you just keep swimming around and forget about it and um, actually which I th- also I think is an important skill in uh, a mentality in startups anyway but um, that was that was sort of my my. Uh, my, my my sort of lasting impression perhaps of the experience it was great i mean i really thoroughly enjoyed it it was one of the best things i've ever done very proud yeah you would be it's proud of how that came together in the team and um how big did the team get to in the end is it high, small team high scale or did yeah, the we, thing grow with it we had about 100 and 130 40 people i think um to, to at the sort of high point um which was sort of pretty pretty uh you know significant number of people i think yeah, it adds to that stress level, right? So <laughs> a lot to manage. Yes. It, it, it's really funny. I mean, a lot of people talk about this. You get to the point of the, the, 
how I put this, the stress wasn't necessarily, so, some people talk about stress of um, knowing that they're, you're responsible for these people. And, and yes, there is an element of that. The bit that I stress perhaps more so was that I really enjoyed and wanted that connection to as many people as possible. I hated the fact that I didn't know someone, for example, because yeah, okay. I, I, fe I felt yeah. I was letting people down, not just those people, but also the perhaps managers and people like that. So I really made an effort to make sure, it sounds so cliche, but accessible to as many people as possible. You know, I never believed in hierarchy or ego or anything like that at all. I, it, we were all, whilst we might have a hierarchy structure, because that was important, as far as I was concerned, it was as flat as the piece of paper it was drawn on. You know, it, 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 it didn't, it should never stop people talking. It's important to get to know your team, but when you get to 120, 130, it's a bit harder. Almost, yeah, yeah, it's almost impossible, right? So, um, if you're speaking to one person a day, there goes that's almost half a year before you get yeah. around. So again, yeah, it's it becomes a bit of a balancing act. Um, great effort, awesome to understand a bit more about the insights into that. Uh, it's probably quite a bit of learning for people that are looking and on that scale sort of journey. Um, now, you're clearly a guy that doesn't like to sit around and do nothing <laughs> so <laughs> exited that business for about a year 2021 and then you went 10 months 12 months later you started heroes I so yes you like to be <laughs> stupid <laughs> so when we met i think it was called only fans or fans only or what was well, it, it called was, it definitely wasn't called only fans none of my I, fans what i'd have called? a lot of problems with that one yeah, it was yeah, called, sorry, wrong one, was called. The, the working title was yeah. our our dot fans the our our fans book. yes and i went there but yes that was in the back of my mind because it was a yeah. clash it's it's um, uh it's yes, that yes. was one of the reasons why yeah. it's no longer called <laughs> as well <laughs> yes probably the reason right <laughs> so that's when we met and then you were looking to change the name that's ended up at heroes um, which I quite like. I think you've done well in sort of good landing there. Um, give us a bit of a quick dive into that um, in terms of what you're trying to achieve, where it sort of came from and um, where you're at. Yeah, so um, I went alluded to you know, tennis playing. Um, I, I was not necessarily the subject uh, of matter of the of the pain point um, as much as I would have loved to have that to have been the case. I was never quite good enough to go anywhere near you know, sort of making it in a career out of it. But I knew people that did. And ultimately there was one, one guy that I reconnected with. And it was quite a sad story really that he'd um, been let down somewhat by the system, you know, by sort of uh, government um, sports sponsorship, you know, uh, sponsorship from external parties. And, and he came from, you know, perhaps a slightly um, less privileged background. And ultimately seeing him 30 years having to make ends meet um, was quite a sad story. And it sort of planted a seed that when I started to look around, I could see that 30 years later, despite the fact that sport is a you know, $1.3 trillion industry with all the different components within it, that hasn't changed an iota. You've still got people, you know, sort of selling houses and you know, family members to try and, you know, get to sports tournaments and events, you know, and it's, it's just not good enough in, in, in this sort of day and age. And ultimately I, I saw again, the problem, a problem to be solved. It was a significant size market. You know, you're looking at a $1.3 trillion industry with, you know, arguably a hundred million athletes at different stages of their career 
trying to make or have the intention of making a a career out of sports, you've got 8,000 sports around the world. You've got four and a half billion sports fans. To me, that's a significant size market to go and, you know, solve a problem. And then I think the interesting thing, the realization was that um, obviously athletes have a, a very unique position in society, you know, and you'll excuse the sort of pun, but they are our real life heroes. You know, they are, uh, they really do represent um, and are the epitome of, of human potential. You know, we, we, we put these people on pedestals because of what they're able to achieve that we can't. And I think that that realization around the value that they hold and the disconnect between that value and their ability to earn money, to ultimately reach the potential, but also maximize the potential because, you know, you have obviously a whole lot of people that are on that path that struggle, but you also have people like, you know, Ronaldo, I know this sounds silly to go and bring him up perhaps in the same conversation, but Ronaldo, you know, went to Saudi Arabia to play football. He didn't do it for the football. He went there for the $170 million or whatever it was that he's paid. And the irony of that situation is that 170 million is a drop in the ocean in comparison to what other people would have earned from him. And so the reality is that it doesn't matter where you sit on the spectrum of athlete, there is a potential to go and maximize, you know, that potential from an, earn, an earning perspective and a consistent earning perspective. So we, we looked at a few different options around how to sort of solve this, whether it was, you know, more the crowdfunding altruism to um, the, the sort of investment and return. But what we settled on really was a model that connects those fans um, you know, to their athletes, um, but ultimately brings together the best of that human behavior that I sort of alluded to, but data and, and technology ultimately to go and sort of solve this. Um, and so the Heroes platform and the, the sort of uh, sales pitch line is, you know, it's a, we're a membership club platform that connects athletes to fans uh, or enables athletes and fans to connect, inspire and invest in each other. So that's really the sort of crux of what we're doing. And, and the inspiration is a, this $4 billion business over in the States called um, Patreon, um, which is effectively something very similar, but even in the, you know, the creator industry, whether yeah, you're in the like creative space, sort mm-hmm. of a musician or an artist or a poet or something like that, we're really focusing and honing in on the sports vertical because of that value of the fandom, the emotion, the behavior that basically exists um, and really taking the concept of earning engagement and rewards, which are the three sort of fundamental pillars to a whole different sort of level by really focusing in at that, uh, at that sort of um, specific detail level of sport. So for example, you know, engagement in sport is I, I want to know what they're doing. I want to get closer. I want to be able to meet my hero, for example, or um, in the reward sense, it could be things like collectibles, which may be earth mo- uh, worth money or even getting access to some of the sponsorship money, perhaps that they earn. And because I've helped them get to that point where they can earn it, I want a bit of a couple, uh, a return. And that's basically what we're building, but in a real, very simple, um, simple sort of structure model using subscription payments, for example, but using a little bit of cool technology to basically facilitate some of the engagement and rewards, you know, you sort of alluded to the web three, for example, you know, we're using that technology, but we're not using the terminology. And I think that that's a really critical, you know, point. You um, can lose people. I think people that understand the space in, especially the tech, um, can come along with a journey, but the general public may get a little bit lost in it. Correct. Um, and this would yeah. be abstracted as soon as you start throwing around crypto or NFTs, NFTs you're just going to get yes. them thinking, 
What yes. sort of a quick money making scam yes. is a hundred percent? And it doesn't matter. It's almost. Um, do you remember the old timeshare stuff? And they they some stick some yep. you know yes. fancy name against yes. it. It's actually to me to me it's the same sort of thing. So you really you really need to be very careful. I think around how you, the vernacular and terminology you use the, with the fans, and you also need to be careful. And I think this is a really really important point. Something I've learned. Technology is amazing, but you need to use it to actually solve something you don't sell your business some value right you don't <laughs> yeah. sell your business yes. as a technology company and and this actually you know we we we, we sort of alluded to the, you know when i was sort of uh, you know having my my growing up stage as in my first career you know with the internet boom of course you had all these internet companies you know they were all growing and it was all about the internet in nowadays you don't see internet companies you just see companies you know delivering something and i think we're going through that same cycle um, where with the sort of boom and the speculative boom, and then there's a little bit of bust. And now I think it's time to start using this technology to actually solve some problems. So for us, it's around distribution. It's around proof of ownership. Um, it's around, you know, putting a value against, you know, potential, um, something that's worth something, uh, that can easily be traded or, or consumed digitally, you know, across the world, you know, not having to sort of get, have an issue of time zone or currency or anything sort of uh you know associated with that and i think that's where web3 can make it have a massive impact exciting Stuart. um when does it launch because i think you mentioned it's pretty intimate yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just looking at my <laughs> at my my date and time uh with the 21st um so we have our sort of version 2 alpha launch tonight um where Is our d developer guys have will present back what um what they've had to sort of fix from the first and, and go through that. Um, and then the beta launch, uh, Touchwood, will start uh, this Thursday. Brilliant. So if anyone wants to find out more about Heroes, what do they look? Um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can, uh, heroes.xyz is, uh, is the website. It's sort of quite simple. Um, the website as of today is, is the old one. So uh, don't get too excited with that one when you won't do because it's not well, possible. This, this might, yeah, when this comes out, um, I'm sure it might be a little bit more spruced up. But then, <laughs> the, so, Thursday, yes, the website yes, will be a bit more spruced yes, up with a bit of yeah. a slightly <laughs> different sort of branding and what have you. But we're, we're excited about bringing all that to, you know, together and uh, you know making that sort of come alive. So, yeah, very exciting. It's always an exciting time when something launches or at least at a beta stage, just getting it out to market, getting that initial feedback. Exactly. And iterating and evolving product. That's where it all starts. And the journey really begins. Absolutely. Um, We're like, no, I'm, uh, yeah. we, I was sort of laughing the other day with the guys in the, in the team. I said, uh, I met a friend of mine and uh, his son apparently loves basketball. One of the first guys we've got is this uh, really cool basketballer from the Philippines, arguably the, the top player in, in, the, in the Philippines league. And uh, he um, he sort of said, oh, well, I'll definitely go and subscribe. So well, we know, we, at least we know we've got one paying customer. So well done. A, I'm, I'm not sure that's going to lead <laughs> to our next funding round, but at least we've got someone to come on onto the platform. Well, <laughs> Stuart. Oh, it's a good start. Oh, yeah. Thank you for joining us on the DevReady podcast. I think maybe let's do another reset at two, three, six months when things settle down on the heroes. Sure. I'd love to hear more about how that's tracking and um, really appreciate you coming on and sharing. No, absolute pleasure. It's lovely to chat with you. Your background, cool. Stuart. Appreciate it, mate. So oh, thank, thank you, you for in, thank, you. thank you for the invite. Yeah. It's lovely to chat to you. Very, very, <laughs> uh, thanks for having us. Great, great sort of podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you.